Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK the capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. This week I'll tell you the story a tragedy that happened in the Bristol Channel in 1932. But first, let's set the scene. Well, on February 4th, Great Britain and Northern Ireland compete in the Winter Olympics at Lake Placid in New York, but didn't win any medals. On February the 25th, Adolf Hitler obtains German citizenship by naturalisation, opening the opportunity for him to run in the 1932 election for leadership. On March the 1st, Charles Lindbergh Jr., the infant son of Anne Morrow Lindbergh and Charles Lindbergh, is kidnapped from the family home near Hopewell, New Jersey. On the 1st of May, protesters clash with police in Hyde Park, London, during a May Day protest against Japan's attitude towards China when they try to march on the Japanese embassy. On the 3rd of October, the Times newspaper first appears set in the new Times Roman typeface devised by Stanley Morrison. And on the 25th of December, King George V delivers the first royal Christmas message on the BBC Empire service from Sandringham House. The text was written by Rudyard Kipling, but we're concentrating on the 15th of October when four men suddenly lost their lives in the Bristol Channel. Wet through, hungry, cold and exhausted, three men were rescued shortly after 7am on a Saturday morning near Flyboy off Porter's Head following a six-hour struggle for life in the darkness after their vessel, the Redvers Buller, a sucker belonging to the South Wales Sand and Gravel Company in Swansea, had foundered. They were Captain Edward Charles Phillips, his mate Frederick Barrett, and engineer George Lovell. Unfortunately, four other members of the crew were carried away in a strong current and drowned. They were Charles John Bryce, aged 50, a deck seaman, and it was his 50th birthday. William Smith, a 28-year-old seaman. Richard Parker, 55, second engineer who had been employed on the Tug Falcon for 35 years before being unemployed for 21 months, 
and then starting on the Redfords Buller. He had four adult children who were all in poor circumstances. And lastly, Ernest Richard Holbert, 53, fireman, who had worked on tugs since he was 14 years old. All the crew had lived in Grangetown in Cardiff. Word of the Week And this week I give you... Gentacular, which, if when you are getting out of bed in the morning you are offered a gentacular cup of tea, don't be offended. It means just about anything, in this case tea, related to breakfast. The Red Furs Buller from Swansea had been loading sand near Mackenzie Boy off the Flatholms and had taken aboard about 250 tonnes. The anchor was weighed about 1am for the homeward run, when suddenly the vessel commenced to list to starboard. Captain Phillips at once ordered all hands on deck. Then the cargo shifted and swiftly the Redford's Buller heeled over and capsized, all members of the crew being thrown into the water. Captain Phillips had just enough time to cut the fore ropes of the lifeboats before the Redford Bullers disappeared. It was all over in three minutes, and the seven men were left fighting for their lives in the waters of the channel. Suddenly, one of the lifeboats came to the surface near the captain, mate and engineer, who clambered onto the keel and hung on. Cries reached them from the darkness, but nothing could be seen of the other members of the crew, who were appealing for help, and the upturned lifeboat drifted away up the channel, with the three men clinging desperately to the keel. Though they continually cried for help, there was no response and they drifted on through the darkness. Each of the men had fallen into the water several times from the sheer exhaustion of clinging onto the keel. The others would then pull them from the water and then they would resume their desperate wait for rescue. Slowly came the welcome dawn when the exhausted men found that they were off Porter's head after being adrift for six hours. Captain A. Close of the Avonmouth Tug Flying Cock belonging to the Commonwealth Tug Company, which had been down-channel looking for a steamer bound for sharpness, saw the drifting lifeboat and immediately rushed its vessel to the rescue. So exhausted were the men when they came alongside that they were unable to board the tug and they had to be pulled to safety by Captain Close and his crew of four, William Roberts, Charles Roberts, Harry Roberts and Percy Wedlock. The shipwrecked men received every attention aboard the Flying Cock, which went at full speed to Avonmouth, where she was met by Captain E. M. Fencock, the dockmaster. Everything possible was done for the comfort of the men after their narrow escape, and they were sufficiently recovered at midday to be able to proceed to their homes at Cardiff. The second lifeboat of the Redford's Buller was picked up off Porter's Head, hold and upturned. In an interview with the Gloucester Citizen, when they arrived at Avonmouth Docks, after their rescue, Captain Phillips said, I shouted to my crew, she has to take a list, and I'm going to make a run for the roads. And almost immediately, the Redvers Buller began to sink. I pulled my knife out, ran to the two boats and cut the ropes, releasing them. Hardly had I done this than the starboard side of the boat was underwater and the vessel began to sink rapidly. All the crew of seven were washed into the water. Mate, Barrett and my engineer Lovell were near me and we struggled towards a lifeboat that had been washed off the boat as she sank. 
we held on for our lives, managed to clamber onto the keel. Two oars drifted past us and we seized them, but lost one of them again. All the time we could hear shouts for help coming through the night. Well, they came from our shipmates, we recognised the voices, but we couldn't see them. With a single oar we tried to control the upturned lifeboat, but the strong current of the rising tide carried us away. So we drifted up the Bristol Channel. Our clothing was of course soaked and it was very cold. We began to suffer from exposure and it seemed as if the night would never end. Throughout the night we shouted continuously for help. We wondered what had become of the remainder of the crew and although we called, there was no answer. When daybreak became fairly strong we were able to take our bearings. Although we knew that we were drifting up the channel, we didn't sight a passing vessel all night. And then at about 7 o'clock we were sighted by the flying cock near the firefly boy off Porter's Head. It was fortunate that a skipper, Captain Close, spotted us, or we may have drifted up the Seven. So let's continue with our story. Captain Close, who rescued the three men, said he saw what he first thought was a raft, but turning the boat about and drawing nearer, he saw three men clinging to the keel of an upturned lifeboat. The men were in a terrible plight. They were suffering from exhaustion and were too weak to clamber up the rope ladder and we had to pull them up onto the tug. Many attempts were made to try and find the four missing men, but to no avail. And then... Tremendous seas were experienced at Breen Down near Burnham-on-Sea and on Sunday the 30th of October three badly decomposed bodies of men were discovered on the foreshore. The first was discovered by Mr Perrett of Breen Down at about 8.30am and he and Mr Ernest Beckett of the Breen Down Hotel who is a member of the Coast Guard Life Corps took charge of it until the arrival of P.S. Tuswell of the Burnham Police when it was removed to the mortuary to await identification. The clothing consisted of brown dungarees, a blue shirt, the sleeves of which were rolled up to the elbows. The press and mirror noted that the seas had been phenomenally high, and the shore was strewn with driftwood, while several feet of the sand dunes had been swept away. And then another body was found. The last body was washed up on Walton Bay near Clevedon on the following Monday. Book of the Week The Book of the Week this week is The Murder of Patience Brook by J.C. Briggs. It's the first in a series of books featuring Charles Dickens and is apparently perfect for fans of Sherlock Holmes. This first one starts off with the brutal murder outside a home for women in need that's helped by Charles Dickens. Now, it forces him to try and solve the murder to protect the name of the home. As you read it, you can tell that the author has put a lot of time and effort into the research of the era, which in itself makes it a good read. Just got this news hot off the press. A man has gone to his doctors in London and says, Doc, help me, I'm addicted to Twitter. Apparently the doctor replied, Sorry, I don't follow you. 
Councillor George Ferrier was the acting chairman of the local relief fund, and with the help of the Reverend Havard, found the task of raising funds quite hard. Even though the sad plight of the dependents of the victims of the Redfords Bullers Sandsucker disaster in the Bristol Channel on October the 15th, when four men lost their lives, touched the heart of the public. Although the Redfords Buller Appeal Fund was only inaugurated on Saturday the 29th of October as an organised committee, by Wednesday morning the fund had reached £35.17 shillings, forwarded direct to the Treasurer, Councillor George Ferrier, in North Clive Street, Cardiff. Councillor Ferrier, in a letter to the Western Mail recording the receipt of this amount to date, enclosed a letter signed Taffy with no address, but a bridge-end postmark, which was accompanied by a contribution of £4, and the request that receipts should be acknowledged in the newspaper for all to see. The councillor adds, Postal orders of various small amounts have also been sent me without name or address. I do think the public are wonderful in helping such worthy objects from time to time. And now, let's continue with our story. Most of the victims had just secured work on the Redvers Buller after long periods of unemployment, and in all cases, there were child dependents. The call for immediate aid was urgent. Richard Parker, he'd left behind a widow and grown family. Charles Bryce, left a widow and nine children. One son was at sea and the rest were at school. Ernest Holbert was married and had three grown-up daughters. And William Smith, well, he had a wife, an eight-month-old daughter. Poor William Smith. He wasn't the first in his family to die tragically. His father, George Smith, was trapped and drowned in the engine room of the Tug Britain, which capsized on January 12, 1926, only six years before. And his brother, Ronald, also lost his life in a tugboat disaster. The master of the Redverse Buller seemed to have led a charmed life, having been torpedoed in Dardanelles during World War I and within the previous 12 months had a miraculous escape from death in Cardiff docks. He was standing on the bridge of a ship when a crane on the dockside collapsed and, falling across the ship, missed him by only inches. The Redvers Buller, by the way, was named after the General Sir Redvers Henry Buller, a British Army officer and recipient of the Victoria Cross, who'd served in the Zulu War as well as Boer War. The ship was originally built in 1895 by Cook, Welton and Gemmell Limited as a passenger ship, Sir Redvers Buller SS. In July 1932, she was converted into a dredger and renamed Redvers Buller SS. She still lies in the Bristol Channel and has been surveyed by HMS Woodlock in 1977, as well as more recent surveys by various commercial survey companies. Back in the day facts. Let's start off with the 23rd of October 1913, 
when activists campaigning for votes for women destroyed by fire a pavilion at Bristol University's sports ground at Coombe Dingle. And on the 25th of October 1958, the purpose-built studios of Television Wales and West at Arnas Vale, costing £250,000, were opened by the Lord Mayor. Also on the 25th, but in 1854, the charge of the Light Brigade took place at Balaclava during the Crimean War, when the Light Brigade, under the command of the Earl of Cardigan, charged the main Russian artillery. On the 26th of October, 1965, the members of the pop group The Beatles received their MBEs from Queen Elizabeth II at Buckingham Palace. On the 27th of October, in 1553, Spanish physician and theologian who discovered the pulmonary circulation of the blood, Michael Servetus, was burnt at the stake in Geneva for heresy. And on the 29th of October in 1888, the Convention of Constantinople declared the Suez Canal neutral and open to vessels of all nations. What's up everybody? It's your boy Zach. It's Josh. Zach, do you enjoy video games, drinking, and attempting to solve the world's problems through ridiculous schemes? Uh, yeah. Do you think others would enjoy that? I mean, I really hope so. So do I. So I think you all should come spend some time with us, the Midwest Meltdown. This show was created by these two fine gentlemen here, myself and Zach, when we spent the last 14 years telling each other funny stories, talking about video games, and literally anything else that comes to mind. We wanted to turn our passion for gaming into something that we could share with everyone. So again, follow us, The Midwest Meltdown, anywhere you can find your podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, Google Pods. Check us out. We'd be happy to have you. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.